Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, we all know Greece is a seaside paradise, and um, it has countless small islands and big islands, and fishing and the sea are an intricate part of everyday life. So there are many, many delicious fish-based products that you can buy from um, Malbian Greek here in the UK for you to taste um, the authentic seaside um, taste of Greece. The most amazing one which I could recommend is the Botarga made from grey mallet by Trikalinos. Trikalinos family makes the best Botarga in Greece and it makes it exclusively from grey mallet raw and it's uh, the best raw used for the Avotarajo production. It's a family company and they've been going on for 150 years and they make this best, best seafood ingredient. This is something that you can use uh, to grate over your pasta or slice it very thinly and eat it as a very luxurious meze uh, with your chipuro or with your raki or uzo. Of course, you can also find other famous Greek products from the sea like uh, marinated sardine fillets and marinated anchovy fillets, both from Trikalinos again, Taramasalata, which is very, very popular, sea salt, of course, rock samphire, all these fish delicacies, smoked or marinated, uh, they represent an essential part of the Greek traditional gastronomy. They're treated with care without any preservatives or additives or chemical processing. And of course, all of them, they are a perfect match for uzo, Raki or Chipuru. Malbian Greek, the one-stop shop for your Greek fix. For all you lucky listeners of the Delicious Legacy podcast, Malbian Greek has an amazing discount, uh, which you can claim if you go to malbiangreek.com forward slash delicious, uh, where you can get a 15% discount. Yep, that's right, 15% discount off your next purchase. Go forth and shop Greek. Ancient Athens, Greece, 400 BCE. 
a splash of garros on your food, master. We could easily imagine a slave asking a guest or his master a question like this during the dinner party at the early stages of a long-drawn symposium. On this typical lively drinking party of mostly wealthy or aristocratic Athenians is where we find one of the most unique flavoring condiments of classical Greece and Rome called garros or garum or most commonly known today fissos. Here we would find it naturally on the tables of every citizen thinking himself as a respectable member of the Athenian democracy or the Roman Republic, throwing lavish dinner parties for his guests. There are more details in a unique document from Sicily or Greece of around 400 BCE, the strange sensuous banquet of Philoxenus, a poetic celebration of obsessive culinary pleasures, a literary dinner party. Water for our hands, a silver jug, a gentle child to pour it, godly springs of slender metal woven for wreaths. In came a pair of slaves with a shiny table, and another, and another, until they filled the room. They fetched in snow-white barley rolls in baskets, a casserole, no, bigger than that, called a marmite, full of noble ill, with a look of the conger about him. Honey-glazed shrimps, besides, my love. Squid sprinkled with sea salt, baby birds in flaky pastry, and a baked tuna, gods. What a huge one, fresh from the fire, and the pan and the carving knife. Enough steaks from its tender belly to delight us both as long as we might get to stay and munch. And so on. On this manner, the poetic description of Philoxenus continues. But what is important for our story is that on most, if not all of these dinners, the food would have had some garum in it, and the guests probably would have had a small amphora with a liquid to season their meal. So what exactly is garros or, or garum as we know it now then? Garum is um, what we call fissos and is a forgotten ingredient in the Western Europe. I've read somewhere that's been described as the funky fish gut sauce that was the ketchup of the ancient world. Which, to be fair, is not too far from the truth. Garum was the ubiquitous table sauce, the go-to flavoring agent of the ancient world. Cooks used it in foods, gourmet guests used it at the table. But before we go to the history of garum, let's start our story a little bit earlier. I'm Thomas Dinas, and this is the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Welcome to our latest episode. Today, we're going to examine the story of uh, one of the most popular ingredients in the ancient Mediterranean world, garum, or garus in Greek, or as we would describe it today, fish sauce. Sit back and enjoy. Let's go back. Let's rewind and start our story a little bit further into the past. 5.3 million years ago to be precise, when the Mediterranean was at her infancy. As we will hear later on, she is the central element in our story about Karo. The history of uh, the Mediterranean Sea 
is governed by its tectonic plates and the movement of the African plate, the Arabian plate and the Eurasian plate. The tectonic plates shrunk the previously massive Tethys Ocean and isolated the, the westernmost part of it from what we call now the Atlantic Ocean, forming the Mediterranean Basin. As it was completely isolated, it took a few thousand years to almost dry up. So the Mediterranean Basin was an almost entirely dry expanse of low-lying land between 1.5 kilometers and 2.7 kilometers beneath today's sea level. So at this point, roughly 5.3 million years ago, uh, something happened with the Straits of Gibraltar and water started moving uh, from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean. In a few years, the basin was filled again. The formation of the sea is important in our story because despite this new great expanse of water, the peoples of the Mediterranean weren't isolated, but indeed more connected. As far as seas go, the Med is relatively calm for long periods of the year and navigable with relatively small or primitive vessels. The civilizations of Europe, Asia and North Africa all engaged in an intertwined complex network of trade. Long before the time of Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire, we have evidence of this uh, interconnection and the trade networks. One such example of trade networks between the different kingdoms and peoples of the Mediterranean, it can be seen at the bottom of, uh, of the Mediterranean Sea, just outside what is today the coast of southern Turkey. Here, archaeologists have found um, shipwrecks as far back as 3,600 years ago. One of the most famous ones is the Uluburu shipwreck, which um, uh, we found that its cargo tin and copper ingots, uh, as well as jars with olives, almonds, figs, pomegranates and other food items. We can also see the importance of the Mediterranean Sea at the naming of it by the ancient peoples. So we know the Greeks referred to it as simply the sea or the Great Sea. The Carthaginians uh, as the Syrian Sea and the Romans called it Mare Nostrum, which uh, translates um, in English as Our Sea. So uh, from around 800 BC, uh, the Greeks um, started forming colonies uh, and dominating the trade between the Eastern Mediterranean Sea and the uh, Black Sea and Southern Italy, where they had the main uh, body of their colonies. And um, the Phoenicians, which are people who inhabited uh, what is modern-day Syria and uh, Lebanon, they colonized uh, North Africa. They made the famous city of Carthage, which became a powerful player on the western half of the Mediterranean area and uh, went on to uh, create more colonies and city-states across uh, North Africa and, and the shores of Spain. Those two big players, the Carthaginians and the Greeks, uh, they started um, trading and we have the first recorded um, production of uh, Fissos or Garum uh, by the ancient Greeks of the Black Sea colonies. This was around the 5th century BCE. Clearly the abundant fish um, resources of the Black Sea played a role in the production of this extremely popular condiment. From the next century, so around the 4th century BC, we have evidence 
of uh, the Carthaginians making fissures in Cadiz, in uh, today's Spain, which was uh, an important trading port at the edges of the known world. Uh, back then was called Gadir. And uh, we have evidence of exporting of fissures from Gadir to ancient Athens. So from, uh, from, the, from the rise of power of uh, ancient Athens, um, we go swiftly to Alexander the Great and his conquest of the Persian Empire. And from there, uh, the doors open uh, for the vast riches and new foods and luxuries of, uh, of Asia to the Greeks, to the Greeks of mainland Greece and southern Italy, of course. At this point, a more formal Greek cuisine emerged, which uh, later, during the Hellenistic period, so around the 3rd century BC, seems to have been defined around the, the use of garros or garum. And it is this cuisine that arrived in Rome in the 2nd century BC, and when the Roman elites uh, fell under the spell of the Greek dining culture. This most likely happened, uh, the whole... Uh, the whole idea and the whole um, the whole cuisine was uh, transferred wholesale with the use of Greek um, cooks by the Roman elites. So we see Fissos was really important to the Carthaginians, to the Greeks and to the Romans themselves. And as an example of the supreme popularity and fashion status of Garum in the Roman Empire, we have the words of Martial, a Roman poet from Hispania, uh, which is modern-day Spain, who lived um, between 38 AD and 102 AD, and he's best known for his 12 books of epigrams, which are short, witty poems that cheerfully satirize uh, the city life. We know from his verse what he says about Garum, written to accompany a little present of a jar of Garum. Here is lordly Garum, a costly gift made from the first blood of still gasping mackerel. So from this uh, verse, uh, it's almost certain that uh, garum was a table condiment and was made from the blood and viscera of very fresh fish. Sometimes this was handled by the diner himself and used in relatively small amounts over already cooked food. The other more commonplace uh, kind of sauce was called Liquamen, and was used in the kitchen by the cook to add salt and other more complex flavors to most dishes, just as we add um, salt or soy sauce or Worcester sauce during cooking. Uh, so this, uh, this liquamen was made using various kinds of whole small fish, which were then mixed with salt and left to dissolve and ferment for up to three months in the hot Mediterranean sun. The resulting liquefied fish was removed from its bone and it was shipped all across the Mediterranean in special amphorae. This whole fish sauce is very similar to the Thai fish sauces so popular today. And on that note, um, I would like to add that the Roman fish sauce, the Greek and Roman fish sauce, was nothing like the modern day anchovy paste. Using the latter, uh, it's been the downfall of many attempts to recreate ancient recipes. So fissos was manufactured at factory sites along the coast. Obviously, you want, you want them to be near the ports, near the fishing ports, uh, so you have the freshest fish. These were typically beside the beach or a harbor. 
the fish was only a few hours from the net when the process began and um, basically as far as away from the towns because the whole process stinks quite a lot as you would imagine. These uh, sauces are not um, a rotten, decaying uh, substance. That's a, the important distinction we have to make here. What took place was not bacterial putrefaction, which given the high proportion of salt would be impossible, but enzymic proteolysis, a process in which the enzymes in the viscera of the fish convert the solid protein into a liquid form. So the viscera is therefore essential to the process. Without them, the protein does not dissolve. Now, you and I, uh, the modern gourmands, uh, we probably understand and uh, know too well from our modern experience. There wasn't going to be one product called fish sauce and fit every single occasion. As always, there was an elite one, one for commoners, and many, many other versions in between. We know one called Muria, which was garum made from fish that they were gutted and had their heads removed. We know of Hematium, a fermented product that consisted of nothing but the guts and blood of fish, and it was made as a byproduct of the fisheries. We also have, for example, when Marshall describes his sauce being made from blood of a still breathing mackerel, that this implies that it was a black and bloody sauce. Uh, or we have surviving Greek recipes for fish sauce that also affirm the importance of the distinction between blood viscera sauce and one made from whole fish. As you can see, things can get a little bit complicated uh, when we muddle through the murky waters of ancient gastronomy. One could buy aged elite black mackerel garum, ordinary black tuna garum, elite liquamen cooking sauces made from mackerel, or cheaper cooking sauces made with a smaller fish, or a tuna or mackerel muria, both of which could also be aged or new. All of these products could also come in second or even third grade versions. Aged elite black mackerel garum, the expensive table condiment sauce, would be lost in the cooking process and wasted. Therefore, it needed to be seen by the gourmet and to be experienced, valued and discussed. We can conclude it would have been the table sauces handled by the guests or the host himself. In Roman cuisine, the use of garum was enriched with different combinations of the sauce. So we have um, garum with wine, called inogarum, with honey, meligarum, with vinegar, oxygarum, with water, hydrogarum, or with dry spices, such as dill, oregano, coriander, celery, or even mint. These sauces were used as condiments for literally everything, from meat and fish to vegetables, salads, desserts, bread, and wine dipping. The Greek physician, who was the most prolific medical writer and who influenced medieval medicine more than any other, was Galen of Pergamon of the 2nd century AD, as we've seen on our previous episode. Galen's use of fish sauce in his treatise on food and diet is valuable as there are numerous references to what we now know is a simple whole fish garros, which is blended with wine or vinegar and oil as a simple dressing for vegetables. Lettuce, for instance, is boiled in the winter and served with olive oil, garros and vinegar, while mallow and cabbage 
are served with olive oil and garros in order to ease the passage through the body. For the Romans, the best garum was the same color as the amber Falernian wine. A famous and well-known uh, name in ancient Fissos was uh, garum sociorum, or the partner's garum, mentioned several times in literature and also one that has been evoked on um, amphorae inscriptions. This was the garum in which our favorite ancient gourmand, Apicius, prescribed that the red mallet should be drowned in. So basically one of his recipes was red mallet, which would be cooked in generous and copious amount of uh, fissos. From, uh, from the amazing book of uh, Sally Granger's The Classical Cookbook, the best way to use, to use uh, garum in all recipes is the following. Take a liter of grape juice and reduce it by half. Let it cool and blend a bottle of Thai Nam Pla fish sauce with it. Once you have that um, table condiment, uh, you can use it uh, in a recipe called uh, honey glazed prawns with oregano and black pepper. It's a relatively simple dish and I made countless times uh, at, at home uh, for friends or in parties, dinner parties or in some themed uh, ancient Greek dinners. And I've, I've done it as a starter and it's relatively easy. So for a, for a decent starter for two, take a, eight large prawns, 15 milliliters of olive oil, 30 milliliters of fish sauce, 30 grams of clear honey, a handful of chopped fresh oregano and black pepper. Place the oil, fish sauce and honey in a saucepan, then add the prawns. Saute gently in the cooking liquor for about three minutes. Remove the prawns, keep them somewhere warm, and let the sauce cook a little bit more uh, until it reduces by half. Then add oregano, pour over the prawns, and sprinkle liberally with fresh ground black pepper. Serve with crusty bread and some green salad. Similarly, we can make homemade smoked sausages from a recipe of the Book of Apicius, which uh, includes a minced pork belly, uh, pine nuts, uh, a herb called rue, which we talked uh, on a previous episode, peppercorns, savory, cumin, bay berries, fresh parsley, and then we can simply grill the sausages on the barbecue or in our oven. There is something very interesting um, from the ancient world as well, which is a vegetarian version of um, garum. So, elquamen from pears. And uh, this is made, according to Palladius, uh, like this, with very ripe pears, which uh, they are trodden with salt that has not been crushed. When their flesh has broken down, store it either in small casks or in earthenware vessels lined with pitch. When it's hung up to drain, after the third month without being pressed on, the flesh of the pears discharges a liquid with a delicious taste but a pastel color. To counter this, mix in a production of dark colored wine when you salt when you salt the pears. A little bit insane recipe, isn't it? So for, uh, for certain purposes, perhaps for rituals or for vegetarians, I, I would guess. Uh, there, there was something like a, a garum, but made from pears, a vegetarian garum, which is a um, very interesting uh, fact. 
someone should uh, should try that. But what happened to Garum? How did he disappear from uh, from our cuisine? It is certainly a lost and unknown ingredient in the Western Europe. Um, countless times um, people said that they have rediscovered it somewhere in some far-flung corner of uh, the Mediterranean, but every time that seems to be a myth. What, uh, what we know so far is that it wasn't used in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, what we call now the Byzantine Empire. So at the time of the Byzantium, uh, it was still produced in uh, Constantinople, which is a modern-day Istanbul, and uh, it was eaten in the, at the palace in uh, dishes like um, with a roast kid or pork and so on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Full-scale recipes of garum supplied in the Byzantine Geoponica. These recipes are unattributed, but probably, like most of the rest of the collection, derive from sources of the Roman imperial period. The Geoponica is one of a series of compilations of earlier Greco-Roman literature commissioned by the Byzantine emperor Constantine VII, Porphyrogenitus, who was a uh, ruler 1913 until 1959. So we're talking about the 10th century of our common era. This uh, literature was uh, dealing with agronomy, agriculture, and other subjects of interest uh, to farmers. But also included 
subjects such as astronomy, meteorology, and methods of controlling pests and warding off bad weather. Because of its encyclopedic scope, it is an invaluable source of information on many lost Greek and Latin agricultural works from uh, the classical era. And it demonstrates the continuing vitality of late antique agronomy. More than 40 authors are cited as sources, but it depends most heavily upon the 4th century AD agronomist Vindonius Anatolius of Beirut and Cassianus Bassus, who seem to have farmed in Bithynia in the 6th or 7th century AD. And uh, he is named in some manuscripts as the author. We have a very entertaining account uh, from Jutprand uh, of uh, Cremona, who was a bishop and a diplomat. So by the year 1968 AD, he reports from Constantinople uh, with writings of um, another very unpleasant liquid made from fish. This is uh, by now, um, by now obviously it seems to be dead in the Western Europe, in the Western Mediterranean, uh, and clearly in order to to moan and diminish the importance of uh, the Byzantines, uh, <laughs> clearly he, 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 made it, he made it sound like some awful, unpleasant sauce. After the fall of the Byzantine Empire, uh, we kind of lose track of uh, Garum. But by the year um, 1553, we have the last appearance of Garos on uh, on a written account. And this was by the French naturalist Pierre Bellon on his book Observations. Here he tells us that uh, it's still made at the fishing ports of Constantinople and um, it's a very popular condiment. Of course, clearly, it fell out of favor later on at the Ottoman Palace. So from then onwards, we lose any track or mention of uh, Garum. So apparently, there is um, the last vestige of Garum in Europe, which is uh, a rare Italian sauce called, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, Colatura di Alici, traditionally made in the small fishing village of Cetara. And I think that's in the province of uh, Salerno. Now, the, the sauce in Cetara, in uh, Italy, the fish sauce of Cetara obviously has very ancient origins, but the fishermen there, they still make it, as we said. And it's a, it's a recipe that probably started from the, mid, from the mid-13th century. Apparently, what, um, what the local people say is that the monks who preached in the rectory of San Pietro in Tuscolo a hill near Amalfi, they were the first who began to work uh, in the sauce. Among their activities, there was also fishing, which took place in the summer months, aboard a modest fleet that in the winter was transformed into means of, of uh, transporting wheat. So after fishing the, the anchovies, they were, the, these uh, were cleaned and the heads removed and the entrails removed, and they were arranged in layers with coarse salt in large wooden barrels. A heavy boulder was placed on top of this to act as a press. The excess liquid that was deposited and dripped from the bottom was so fragrant that the monks decided to collect it and take it to the kitchen. The monk who was in charge of preparing the meals decided to season boiled vegetables, adding some spices, herbs and oil. 
The success was immediate, and the monks sent some of the amber liquid as a gift to the inhabitants of the neighborhood villages and to other convents. Everyone began to work hard to produce it at home, until someone came up with the brilliant idea of using the same cup that was used to separate the wine from the mast, to filter the sauce and make it clearer. And this is how the precious Setara fish sauce was born. According to local guides and local uh, myths and legends, of course. So the process, this procedure for the preparation of the sauce is quite long and laborious. As anticipated, with the, with the period for anchovy fishing uh, between the end of March and the beginning of July, um, it happens around there. The best anchovies are fished in May, and after fishing they are cleaned, as we said earlier, uh, strictly by hand. For about 12 hours, these anchovies are left to rest in a container with a mixture of water and salt. This is only the first part of the procedure. Then they are arranged in layers with coarse salt in oak barrels, called tergini, whose dimensions are one-third of a classic barrel. The barrels are closed with a wooden lid on which large stones are placed. During the first 48 hours, uh, they exert more pressure and then one can lighten the weight. The pressing liquid that emerges on the surface is the basic one of the preparation. Towards the end of October, the anchovy sauce is almost ready for the last stage of preparation. The liquid collected and set aside is poured into the terzino where the anchovies were macerated and while it crosses the layers it collects all the nutrients through the vriale, a hole made on the terzino. Then it is recovered and then transferred to a container. The last phase involves filtering the liquid with linen cloths and, let, and letting this anchovy sauce rest on the windowsill in special glass bottles. Before closing with a cork, place a bunch of oregano, which is there to flavor the colatura. And this, my friends, that's how they make colatura dialitititara in um, the Amalfi Coast uh, nowadays. A very interesting sauce, uh, which, I've, which I've tried it, of course. I buy it quite often, and it's really, really tasty. Uh, definitely something you should use. And there are recipes from the area that you can find, uh, which I will post on Patreon, on how to use it. Um, some recent archaeological discoveries down in Andalusia, uh, near, the, near Cadiz, in an area called Bologna, there are ruins of uh, a Roman city of Bailo Claudia, which was built on the 2nd century BC. Researchers of the University of Cadiz and the archaeological ensemble of uh, Bailo Claudia have discovered two complete Roman Salazone factories named Cetaria in an excellent state of conservation in Bailo Claudia. It's the first time that um, organic remnants of salted tuna have been discovered thanks to, thanks to the discovery of skins in some of these uh, pools of, uh, of the Salazone factories. Likewise, in these places, in this city, they found also garm factories, and um, these have been studied, and the residues of, the, of, of its manufacture uh, are still there, still intact, and at, at the base of some of uh, the amphoras. And uh, so several members of the Department of the Chemical Engineering of the University of Cadiz decided to enter the world of gastronomy, 
based on these findings. So they made something. Um, so they made a, a garum, recreated the garum. So together with a group of, of archaeologists, which uh, they found solid and well-preserved remains of garum in Pompeii, brought together clues of how to create garum. Great dose of combination and patience uh, was acquired, and they made the, this beautiful amber green brown sauce of the ancient Mediterranean, which um, in its heyday the price would be equivalent to 600 euros per liter. All of which brings us uh, to the modern Thai or Vietnamese fish sauce, which is, uh, which is a very handy ingredient in our kitchen arsenal. I think it should be used um, more often and in a lot of different dishes. And if we take, um, if we take inspiration from the Book of Apicius, which has hundreds of recipes using garum, uh, we can clearly see that it was not only important back then, but it can be important now as well, and not playing a starring role, but to be there just under the surface, impregnating the dishes with uh, an intangible magic, focusing and waking up the natural flavors of uh, the ingredients. Once we do that, we can see, we can, we can definitely taste um, the depth and the umami of, uh, of, 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 the, of the garum in our dishes. And they are tasting like a, a hyped up versions of themselves. From modern Southeast Asian cuisine, we learn of a fermented squid blood viscera sauce that is used today in Japanese cuisine. It is known as ishiri and is used as a finishing sauce for sushi as well as cooked foods. I will um, post some pictures of that on my Patreon so you know that you can find it. So this particular um, sauce, that fish sauce, um, it tastes neither fishy nor salty and smells of the ion compounds from the blood. In the Japanese cuisine, there is also a whole fish sauce called isiru, and many dishes are prepared with both. So, for example, uh, the whole fish sauce is used for cooking and the blood viscera sauce finishes the dish. This sauce is truly fermented with bacteria and low salt. Uh, I've got, I found some, uh, some of the Isiru sauce in uh, some Japanese um, supermarket in London and I can testify that it's really tasty. It has almost, um, almost a smoky flavor in a sense. And yeah, you can definitely taste um, the ion compounds in a way. Uh, and it definitely doesn't smell fishy, doesn't have the intense smell of the fish sauce we know from the Vietnamese cuisine. Now, the most weird thing here is that um, the, the Japanese word for viscera is gari. So what are the chances? It would be rather interesting to draw a link between the ancient Roman garum and uh, Thai fish sauces on this point. Uh, but there aren't many references in historical documents from the region before the 7th century that mention them. Uh, also, we know as a highly valuable commodity uh, for the Romans, and given its portability, it's fun to imagine a connection and lineage between the two vastly disparate cooking styles. Uh, but in all probability, these sources were developed independently. Credits and uh, sources uh, for more information regarding um, today's episode.
the Uluburun shipwreck, uh, which you can find more information about it on uh, um, Wikipedia or at the excellent podcast called uh, the Maritime History Podcast. And also from uh, the Fall of Civilizations podcast, the book Siren Feasts, History of Food and Gastronomy in Greece by Andrew Dalby, the Classical Cookbook by Andrew Dalby again and Sally Granger, the Zanclean Flood about the uh, formation of the Mediterranean Sea. I would like also to mention the third century book The Dipnos of Iste by Athenaeus that helped us uh, by providing vast amounts of information from that era. Also the book uh, of uh, the world-famous Noma restaurant, uh, The Noma Guide to Fermentation, where they provide recipes to make uh, the ancient garum, but also garum uh, made by beef or squid or roasted chicken wings, amongst other things. Incredible. Uh, Check it out if you haven't. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. I've been Thomas Dinas, and this was the Delicious Legacy Podcast. And remember, if you liked what you heard, please uh, subscribe on my Patreon page and help me create interesting archaeogastronomic podcasts. Thank you. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 